Uh, well, for those of you uh, who don't uh, know me, um, I have now two children. Um, my daughter just turned six months um, a few, few days ago. And as I think back about it, uh, the last six months have uh, been, in, in, in one, one word, painful. Um, living with two small kids has been a bit like living with two small pets. You know, pets, they're cute and cuddly, but pets, well, you have to do everything for them. You've got to clean them, you've got to wash them, you've got to clothe them. And at times, it's just felt all a bit suffocating. I often sit there wondering, how can I escape all this? I haven't found the perfect solution, but I have found one great option. It comes in the form of an iPad. See, iPad is like Panadol Rapids. It just has instant relief. You bring it out, the colors, the lights, it's like digital cocaine. It's just so addictive, and they just keep coming back for more. And so often, I find myself feeling slightly guilty. I'm so desperate to find just a little bit of peace that I, I, I give, out, give the iPad out and I just sit there next to them, motionless, thankful that I don't have to do anything. At these points, I feel guilty. I feel guilty for not being a better dad. Uh, shouldn't I be playing toys with them, uh, giving them horsey rides around the house or maybe taking them to adventure around the neighborhood? I so often feel guilty for about a minute then I justify the use of the iPad. I tell myself some silly excuse like, well, they need to learn about technology and iPads are the way of the future, so it's important that they start early. Have you ever had one of those moments? One of those moments where you just felt like you've done something wrong. You, you feel just a little bit guilty. See, the reality is, if you know where to look, guilt, it's kind of everywhere, isn't it? Think about guilty pleasures. You know, it's the thing you do that you're not really supposed to do, but you just can't help yourself. Maybe it's to eat a whole block of chocolate instead of just one or two pieces. Maybe for you, it's procrastinating from doing uni work and just watching YouTube to the early hours of the morning. Maybe for you, it's picking your nose in the car when you think no one else is looking. See, those moments just feel so good, yet we just, we just feel guilty afterwards. This is not a, not a reflection of my life, really. <laughs> but see, the reality is, so often uh, we feel guilty because we don't meet standards. I mean, if you're a Christian here this morning, have you ever felt guilty uh, for maybe not reading your Bible enough? Maybe for not reading it at all. Have you ever felt guilty uh, for not telling your friends about Jesus and evangelizing more? Have you ever felt guilty for not being more generous or more loving to those that are needy and difficult in your life. So if you think about it long enough, guilt seems everywhere. But why are we talking about guilt this morning? Well, I think we want to talk about it because if you understand the true nature of it, it can have such a debilitating impact on our lives. Don't we feel discouraged and, and weighed down? Doesn't guilt have this tendency to paralyze you so you just can't enjoy life? And in moments, guilt makes us feel like failures. Or at worst, we feel like a bit of an incompetent loser because we just can't get things right. So if you truly think about guilt for long enough, you realize it has this ability to, to torment and haunt us. So we never feel like we're truly free. The amazing thing about Jesus and the gospel as we look at the Bible this morning is it speaks powerfully about this topic and for those that experience guilt, the Bible gives us this amazing and beautiful pathway to redemption. 
an opportunity to find freedom from that crushing burden of guilt, an opportunity to experience this power to respond and find relief. Really what we see in Scripture is that for those that truly understand their relationship with God, there is rest and reprieve from that voice of condemnation. And so as you walk out this morning, I want you to realize that if you truly experience and understand the forgiveness of God, you'll find true freedom from your guilt. If you truly understand and experience the forgiveness of God, you'll find freedom from your guilt. Now, if you've walked in here and you have a, one of those bulletins on the inside left-hand cover, uh, there is an outline as to how we're going to think about this passage this morning. And three points that I want us to kind of walk through. The three points are the reason we all feel guilty, a pathway to redemption, and the freedom of true forgiveness. So why we all feel guilty, a pathway to redemption, and the freedom of true forgiveness. So why don't we think about the reason we all feel guilty? Why do we all feel guilty? I think Paul helps us uh, understand that, that experience, that universal feeling, a bit there in verse 12. Look there with me. It'd be great if you could keep your Bibles open. Verse 12. This is what Paul writes. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sin. Paul makes this assertion about everyone that's ever walked this earth. About me, about you. And he tells us, that we're all sinners. In other words, that we're all people that have rejected and rebelled against God. You may have walked in here this morning and you're like, well, I'm just investigating Christianity. I'm not even sure that God is real. How can you say that every one of us, yourself included, is a rebel against God, that's rejected God? Well, I think regardless of who we are, whether we're Christian, atheist, agnostic, all of us have a set of internal standards. All of us kind of recognize the difference between good and, and bad, uh, between just and unjust. And the Bible tells us that as we go against these standards, kind of ignore them and do what we want, as we ignore what we know to be good and just, we are people that rebel and sin against God. Listen to what James writes in James 4 verse 17. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, there's sin for them. I see, as we think about these standards that we have, these internal standards of good and, and wrong and, and right and wrong, good and bad, we need to recognize they're not just random. The Bible tells us that all of us are made in the image of God, and because of that, you've inherited His, his moral and ethical standards for living in this world. And so you've, as you live life the way you want to do it, sometimes against these standards, you're someone that's violated God's standards for living in this world. And so therefore, we're people, really, that have all sinned, as Paul tells us. I think this is the reason why so often we feel guilty. It's because we recognize that we've violated these standards. I mean, guilt, really, what is it? In many ways, it's just a sense that we've broken some standard, that we're rightly condemned. I mean, think about it. Why do you feel guilty, or why should you feel guilty, when you eat a whole block of chocolate? Because there's some standard out there that says normal people, they only have one or two pieces, right? But Paul tells us everyone's sinned. We've all broken God's standards. And because of that, we stand before Him as guilty. Guilty, worthy of God's judgment and, and punishment. See, that's not the end of the story. What happens to those that are guilty? Verse 12 tells us, Death came to all people because all sinned. 
See, the result of your guilt, of your sin, ultimately, Paul tells us, is a death. What kind of death is this? Well, in many ways, it's a physical death, but I also think Paul has in mind there is a spiritual death for those that are sinful. Fast forward to the end of our passage, verse 21. Look at what Paul writes. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We see here a bit of a contrast. On one hand, there is death, and on the other hand, there is life, but it's eternal life. See, Paul has in mind that the, the sin that leads us to the death is this spiritual death, a life apart from God, an eternity of suffering and torment that has no hope in it at all. And so if we pause to think about our guilt long enough, we realize it's problematic. And it's not just problematic because we feel bad and we can potentially feel discouraged and maybe like a loser. No, guilt rightly understood through the lens of Scripture leads us to a spiritual death. It leads us away from a relationship with God and knowing Him. It leads us to, to be alienated from God so that we no longer enjoy the love and joy that comes from being in His presence pretty bad place to be. Well, thankfully, Paul maps out a pathway to redemption in this passage. And so that's where, that's where we're going to go now. It's our second point, a pathway to redemption. What's the solution to be freed from this burden? Uh, to enjoy life with God. Well, Paul tells us, doesn't it? While the problem of sin enters this world through one man, the path to redemption comes through another. Jesus, look there with me in verses 18 and 19. This beautiful kind of solution. Verse 18, Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. Now, Paul here is talking about two men. On one hand, the one that leads to trespass is Adam. The one that leads to life is Jesus. Verse 18 reminds us of this problem that we just read about in verse 12. Because of Adam's disobedience, because of his trespass and sin, verse 19, everyone becomes involved in sin. Verse 18, everyone now stands before God as those who are condemned. Because we're connected to Adam in some way, shape or form, we all face this spiritual death, don't we? Verse 18, we find the solution. The solution comes through another man. We find out in this passage that through Jesus that acts in a way that is righteous, in a way that is obedient. Somehow through what he does, we find life. What is this act of righteousness and obedience? Well, as we open up scriptures, we see that this act is Jesus' death on the cross. On the cross, Jesus dies as a substitute. Instead of guilty men and women facing the judgment that they deserve, spiritual death, alienation from God, Jesus, an innocent man, faces judgment in their place. And it's through this substitution, the sin of God's people is totally forgiven. See, it's at the cross we see this beautiful and amazing exchange. God's people, though rightfully guilty, are set free. Jesus, one who is truly innocent, faces judgment and condemnation in their place. And so it's this act of obedience that leads sinners, those rightfully guilty, those headed to a spiritual death, to be declared those who are justified and righteous. You may not necessarily use terms like that in your everyday life, being justified or being righteous. Really, these, uh, these words are the language of the courtroom. It's this declaration to say that even though you're guilty, you're now innocent. 
Even though guilty, you're now declared, declared by God to be guiltless, to be justified, to be declared righteous. Uh, we need to be certain. It's not a statement about who you are, that you're now morally perfect, that you're now somehow magically transformed into someone that never does anything wrong, that never sins. No, this declaration by God is a statement of how God now sees you and He sees you as someone that no longer has the baggage and weight of sin. It's all been removed, expunged. He looks at you and says, you're innocent, you're blameless, you're faultless before me. See, friends, it's those that are united to Jesus, that know Jesus, that have a relationship with Him, can approach God freely. Paul beautifully puts it, like this in Romans 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. But in this passage, Paul doesn't just want to map out this pathway to redemption, that it's through Jesus that we can be declared righteous and innocent in God's eyes. He wants us to see how beautiful this gift is. He does this by talking about both the equality of what Adam and Jesus has done, but also the inequality of what Adam and Jesus has done. So firstly, do you notice the equality? It's there for us in verses 18 and 19. Adam was disobedient. Jesus was obedient. Adam lived in sin. Jesus acted in righteousness. We see this kind of nice equality there. But if you go to verses 15 to 17, we notice that Paul is constantly trying to highlight an inequality between Adam and Jesus. Look there at verse 15, right at the beginning. You see, the gift, talking about what Jesus does, is not like the trespass, what Adam does. Verse 16, the gift of God cannot be compared to one man's sin. And you notice in verses 15 and 17, Paul's constant refrain of how much more as he refers to what Jesus has done and accomplished. Paul dearly wants us to kind of recognize there's an inequality ultimately between Adam and Jesus. Why? What's well, this, I think? Because he so wants to highlight the mercy and grace of God through Jesus. He wants to highlight the superiority of Jesus' actions and the implications of those actions. See, Jesus' one act of righteousness and obedience means that a multitude of sins are covered. It's not just a one for one. It's a one for many. There is a completeness and finality to what Jesus has done so that for the sin of God's people, whether it's in the past, whether it's in the present or in the future... All of it is paid for. Satan can't come up to you and say, hey, your sin is too great for God to forgive you. Hey, you sinned too many times for God to accept you. The inequality highlights for us the fullness and totality of God's forgiveness for His people. But this inequality also reminds us of the, the immutable and the eternal relationship God's people now have with Him. See, not only are your sins wiped away, Not only are you forgiven, but you're now credited with this amazing righteousness such that you will be with God for all eternity. It's this guarantee of spiritual life. See, it's in this inequality we see the amazing gift of God to us in Jesus. If you followed along to this point, you might be recognizing, well, if if Adam sinned, then everyone's guilty. But if Jesus does an act of righteousness, well, well, everyone is made right before God, right? Is that what Paul says? Look there with me in verse 17. He ultimately says, it's those who receive God's abundant provision of grace that will enjoy this declaration of forgiven before God. 
See, right standing before God is not just a universal covering. It's only those that choose to accept and receive this gift of God. What does accepting look like? Well, I think Paul summarizes it nicely in Romans 10 verse 9. He says this, If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him up from the dead, you'll be saved. Receiving God's gift is this act of faith, believing that Jesus died and rose in your place. Recognizing that you live not for yourselves now, but to follow King Jesus. Those that receive the gift, they can be assured God tells them you're forgiven and really means it. I think many people here this morning would say, yeah, I've received this gift. I'm excited that I'm completely forgiven. I'm excited that in God's eyes I'm now declared righteous. But I want to ask you, how does that make you feel? Even though you've received this gift, do you feel the freedom that comes from being forgiven? Or do you still feel plagued and burdened by guilt? I read this quote the other day from a, a pastor called Ray Ortland. He says this, Half-hearted Christians are the most miserable of all. Half-hearted Christians are the most miserable of all. Why? They know enough about God to feel guilty, but they haven't gone far enough with Christ to be happy. They know enough about God to feel guilty, but they haven't gone far enough with Christ to be happy. And I wonder if that's your experience. You kind of know enough about God to know what you should do and shouldn't do, but you don't fully understand Jesus and what He's done to feel that, that freedom that comes knowing God, that freedom that comes from being forgiven. Well, this leads us to our last point, receiving true freedom. I think if we want people to, to really enjoy Christ's forgiveness, if we want people to, to be people that truly relish God's wonderful gift of being justified, then we have to do at least two things. And I want to leave you with two things to think about and to process. The first is you no longer define yourself by your own actions. You no longer define yourself by your own actions. See, so often we, we build, we construct our own identities around what we do. So when we feel guilty, we compensate that by just doing better. To feel less guilty as a parent, I just go buy my kids more toys. If we feel guilty for being sexually impure, uh, we just become hypervigilant about purity in our relationships. If we feel guilty about not reading the Bible, we'll go get a Bible reading plan, we'll read the Bible morning and evening to compensate. See, when we build our identity around our actions, our pathway to redemption becomes, well, we just need to be more self-controlled. We just need to be more determined. We just need to have more personal sacrifice. Have you ever said or heard someone say, I just can't forgive myself. I just can't forgive myself. I think this is actually shorthand for, I can't figure out what I need to do in order to feel less guilty. It's this classic indicator that you've brought into this mentality that redemption from guilt comes based on what you do. So often when people say this, they've set themselves up as a judge and they're the ones, they're the only ones that can declare themselves not guilty. So often when people say this, they're imbibing a spirit of legalism, saying that it's through my actions that I find righteousness before God. But see, friends, the Christian's identity is not constructed around what we do, our ability to act rightly. 
The Christian's identity is grounded in your solidarity with Jesus. Or as Paul puts it, your union with Christ. Remember what he says in verse 19. So also through the obedience of one man, talking about Jesus, the many will be made righteous. For those who believe and trust in Jesus, your identity is tied to his. Because of what he's done, God says to you, you're innocent, you're forgiven, you're no longer guilty. It's not because you've somehow worked your way into his good books, but it's because of what Jesus has done on your behalf. If you truly understand this, that you're no longer defined by your actions, but by Jesus's, there is this freedom that fills your heart. The guilt starts to evaporate and allows you to kind of walk with a newfound confidence. See, for some of us that feel unworthy of being accepted by God, unworthy of being forgiven by Him because of our sin, if your identity is built around what you do so often, if you're like this, you feel tired and worn out. You feel like you're a constant treadmill doing enough good things to make yourself feel worthy before God. But if you accept your identity is really not about what you do, but about what Jesus has done, you start to be released from this treadmill mentality. You no longer feel that you need to prove yourself or earn your way into God's presence. But there is this liberating freedom that you can walk confidently towards God. As you no longer define yourself by what you do, but what Jesus has done, there is this joy and freedom. What about for the person that is continually struggling with sin in their life? It's this habitual habit that they just can't shake. Maybe for some of you, it's, it, you just can't stop judging people. You have these condemning thoughts of people all the time. And maybe for some of you, you, you wrestle uh, with lustful thoughts and, and pornography. If you've ever wrestled with uh, habitual sin, whatever it is, doesn't, doesn't guilt rob you of confidence before God? As much as you try to turn away, you end up sinning again and again and again. See, when our identity is defined by Jesus, there is this liberation that we feel. And there is this freedom that we can approach God confidently and boldly. Because it's not based on what we've done that makes us worthy, but because of Jesus. There is this freedom that we no longer have to feel crushed when we fall to temptation once again. Because our identity is not defined by our success in getting over a sin, we can faithfully persevere and fleeing temptation without the guilt of being labeled a failure when we fall to temptation again. See, can you see how you, when you reorder your identity around what Jesus has done for you, it allows you to be confident towards God. It allows you to persevere in areas when you can easily fail. To enjoy the freedom that comes from God's forgiveness. It's not to find self-forgiveness, to, to figure out a way to, to redeem yourself before God. The solution is about recalibrating how you understand and define yourself. No longer by your own actions, but by the actions of Christ. You are declared perfect and whole and righteous. So that's the first thing. No longer define yourself by your actions. The second thing, you no longer define yourself by your feelings. See, so often if we don't construct our identity around what we do, we construct our identity around how we feel. Feelings become our gauge of, of whether God truly loves us, whether He forgives us, whether we're worthy towards God. And so when we feel guilty, we say, oh, I know God loves me, but I don't feel forgiven. I know I'm forgiven in my head, but I don't feel it in my heart. In these moments, it's important that God's words 
define who we are more so than our feelings. John writes this, If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and He knows everything. See, there will be moments when you feel guilty and unforgiven. In these moments, God's voice must speak louder than your feelings. We must recall His voice that says to us, You're dearly loved and accepted. Your sins are completely forgiven. You stand before me just and righteous. See, as we let God's voice resonate louder than our feelings, uh, there is this beautiful freedom that we have. This freedom that allows us to respond to feelings of guilt with a level head. What do I mean by that? Well, I actually think there are two kinds of guilt. Uh, There's good guilt and bad guilt. See, good guilt is something we should sort of respond to. See, good guilt is we feel guilty because we should feel guilty. See, just because God declares you to be innocent, it doesn't mean you're perfect. It doesn't mean you should ignore all feelings of guilt. Guilt can sometimes be really healthy. It can convict us of areas in our lives where we've kind of walked away from God. It can help us see how we haven't loved God perfectly or loved our neighbor well. See, normally we think, well, if I'm going to admit my my sin and talk about that, I might jeopardize my relationship with God. God doesn't want sinners like me. But as we hear the voice of God saying, you're fully forgiven, this leads us to come before Him with a boldness and confidence that even though we repent of our sin and admit our failings, our admission of guilt won't drive us from God's presence. You see, knowing how God speaks truthfully over us allows us this freedom to walk into God's presence, regardless of how bad our week has been, and to speak openly and honestly. So that's good guilt. But it helps us to respond to bad guilt as well. What's bad guilt? I think bad guilt is you feel guilty even though you probably shouldn't. Bad guilt often stems from uh, points in our lives when we, we break the standards of others that are quite illogical and totally unreasonable. Bad guilt comes when we hear the condemning voice of past failures that kind of seep into our lives. As we hear God's voice speak louder than our feelings, it helps us step out from the burden of this bad guilt. Let me give you an example. Perhaps you know someone, or maybe this is you, you're haunted by your past. You're haunted by what you've done and the guilt you feel because of it. And there's this constant voice that keeps coming up to you. It says, look, look at what you did. How can God ever forgive you? How can you say you're a Christian? How do you respond to that? I See, in this moment, God's words of forgiveness must speak louder than our feelings of guilt. If we're people that have repented and confessed our sin to God, there is this confidence that we can have. What does John say? If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from our unrighteousness. At this point, in many ways, we don't need to feel guilty. We can tell ourselves that it is a lie from Satan. I no longer need to feel guilty because Christ Jesus has forgiven me. Two key ways in being able to enjoy and receive this abundant grace of God. No longer defining ourselves by our own actions. No longer defining ourselves by our feelings. See, as we rest in Christ's work on our behalf, in God's voice that truthfully speaks that your sins are forgiven, we start to experience the freedom that God intends for us to those that know Jesus. I think too often we're far more miserable than we need to be because we've let these things slip our minds. And so friends, can I encourage you as you walk out this door today to let the words of Christ wash over you. 
You're forgiven. Your sins are paid for. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would help us fully appreciate what Christ has done. That our eyes would uh, be turned to him and not to ourselves. And our 